we're not displaced. We actually have all place. We're not cut from time. We have all time. This is Where We Meet, sharing conversations from New Mexico and beyond. I'm Chelsea Reedy. This show is supported by the National Endowment for the Humanities. Today we hear from Nikisha Breeze, an interdisciplinary artist invested in reclaiming both historical narratives of the African diasporic body and of Afrofutures. Breeze's work centers on Black bodies, simultaneously existing within realms of past, present, and future. They use performance art, film, painting, textiles, sculpture, and site-specific engagement to build a counter-narrative, where Black bodies and ideas exist in a realm of indivisibility between Black artistic aesthetic, Black time, and ritual healing. Black pasts become reinformed by Black futures, and the resulting present is experienced as a living altar and artifact. Breeze's methodologies call upon ancestral memory and archival resurrection to bring to the fore faces, bodies, stories, and spirits that have been systematically erased from the dominant narrative. We discuss Breeze's discovery of their family history in Blackdom, New Mexico, and their recent return to the all-Black frontier town, which was founded in 1903 and dissolved around 1930. Breeze weaves the connection of their painting series Within My Skin and a more recent project, Stages of Tectonic Blackness, an eight-hour durational performance and ritualized morning dance. Join us as we listen to Nikisha's connection to Blackdom, the expressions of space, place, time, and the importance of cracked doors and cracked mud. I'd like to begin by talking about Blackdom, since some of your recent work is connected to this place, stages of tectonic blackness and the series of paintings within the skin. You're working with history and and narratives, but you're, you're also actually doing work at a historical site. I wonder if you can describe how how it came about that you discovered the significant family connection and history to Blackdom. How did that happen? Yeah, I'm it's such an exciting work um to to come full circle into that piece of land. I started going pretty deep about 10 years ago into my family history, um doing genealogy, doing ancestry um searches. I'd been, you know, really I've been here in New Mexico at that point about 11 years and I yeah, I was just curious and I was reaching back and trying to talk to my dad who, you know, my, my grandmother had passed when I was young. So there was just a lot of blocks and holes in my entire understanding of my story. And from that process, going through, searching through the census records, following names, you know, from my, my father to his mother, to my grandmother, I started to see that our people were showing up in Roswell in New Mexico. And, and I was like, wait, how did that, wait, Chavez County? <laughs> um, okay. And, and that got me really excited because we, I come from Oregon um, and that, you know, there was California and there was Texas and then all of a sudden New Mexico. And I was really blown away. So it brought me into looking at that region. I mean, like, well, where did black folk live and like what timing? And I was seeing that the, it was, you know, 1940s, 1930s, 1920s, and then all the way back to 1890. 
you know, with these folks coming in and then found Blackdom. So, so that process was, you know, looking like what were, where were they, where were they settled? Who, what was the community? And, and all of it began pointing to that history. And, and so it was a little rabbit hole that I went into and then it blossomed out and I began to, to research Blackdom and find as much as I could about this freedom town, which was the most exciting piece, you know, was that our, my family actually had, you know, in a way, this place that they tried to make. This is a quote from Southwest Contemporary Magazine. You're quoted as saying, when we're cut off from our histories, we're cut off at this real root of time and place. How do we move from that timeless, placeless space to something else? In, in terms of your, your work and your exploration of your family history and your ancestry, does Blackdom have kind of a, a, a place in, in that? You know, what was really interesting about the process, a lot of times I think through these things that feel really visceral through my art, right? And so the thought about place, <laughs> this again, like that, that quote is really a, a true and poignant one, right? Like as Black bodies, you know, especially throughout the diaspora, there's so much emphasis on the displacement and the, the idea of place. And then that, of course, is a very complicated conversation that comes in with indigenous land and, you know, and being still on stolen land, still, you know, Black settlers that that can't even claim the land as their own, but but must, <laughs> you know, and like, what does it mean to, to like, to need place and, and at the same time be placed as that? That statement is really clear. And I think for me, when I came back to, or found and understood that there was this like land I could touch that my family once called home or once imagined was that origin point or something that they could claim as their own. Like when I imagined coming back to that, like creating a full circle and touching that land again now, you know, so many, you know, hundred years later, I wondered what I'd feel. It was questions like, will I feel like I'm going home? Will it feel like return or will it feel like something else? And what I found going, I mean, while we've done it, you know, was that it was definitely something, something else. <laughs> like it wasn't, it was, it was bigger even than that. I'm still trying to navigate the words around what it is because it was really fresh. And even speaking with my collaborators in the project, which are, they were very essential in it, all of us felt, felt a, like a, a birthing point out of the timeless placelessness. This, this historic site is completely abandoned, had been ghost really it ghosted black bodies haven't touched that land for potentially, you know, up to a hundred years, you know, like at all. And so like the return of our bodies to the land, it felt like the land welcomed us in, but it also like opened up another sense of our belonging that wasn't necessarily in that land, but even in our own bodies. Yeah. Again, my words might be too wide. Well, I understand too. This was recent. I wonder if we can actually talk about stages of tectonic blackness, um, how that project originated, and then how it has moved, and then how blackdom fits into into that piece. So, stages of tectonic blackness is really a um, a collective birthing um, that came from a few artists that came together. So, um, I had actually been teaching a 
teaching a workshop in Albuquerque, uh, a dance and movement workshop called Decolonizing the Body. And one of the dancers there and, and students and collaborators in the space uh, contacted me. And it was this was all happening right around the George Floyd um, uprisings and you know, a lot of movement, a lot of tensions were were coming around for 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 black folk in that time, you know, around this um, I don't know, in an in, inept <laughs> feeling, like something so deep needing to shift. Miles contacted me. He had a a feeling of wanting to do something that was different, to do a long form durational piece. He didn't know what it would look like. He's like, I, he's like, I want to just take time. He's like, every, the world is burning. <laughs> like everything is like, like, can we just stop for a really long time? And so he was calling to, to disengage in that conversation. Like what, what would it look like? How could it be manifest? What are some of the things in the, that I've experienced and how, if, if I would like to collaborate? And, um, and I was of course, incredibly excited about the idea. And we, we just, you know, fireworked off on all of these ideas around the black body's relationship to time, to place and land. Um, at that time, you know, we were thinking a lot about the actual like movement of the earth. Like, can we, can we relate into the, the earth time, the Anthropocene, these like scientific, but not like these phil- black philosophic ideas can we translate them into the dance as a way of reclaiming something that is almost unspeakable, that feels like it's being ripped from us, that I can't breathe, like that place where the body is, is pulling away um, from itself. Like, can we make space there? Can we breathe slowly for a long time? Can we lay our bodies alive on the earth, unmoving and not dead? You know, this like, intense yeah uh, obsession <laughs> with black death we were urging for life and so that that was the conversation and and we we of course wanted to to bring in someone who could also you know again like relate uh, in sound to that process so we invited our friend Lazarus who is a scholar a historian um, a trans activist and a phenomenal masterful musician and viola player um, into, to join the conversation. And so the three of us began a collaborative process of research, historical research, um, scientific research. I studied, you know, black body radiation and and nuclear fission (laughs) to prepare us, you know, for like the understanding of what it means to be in, in a nuclear land, which in Albuquerque, which is where we were going to perform that first piece that came in the process, like, where are we going to do it? What are we going to do? Yeah. It just was a collaborative piece that was based on research on book sharing. We did like a radical book club type thing where we would read books together and then give each other passages from the books to create movements to all with this idea of what does it mean to break time as a black body? What does it mean to, to move at the, the speed of the tectonic plates, <laughs> you know, of blackness, you know? And so that, that was the birth and it's continued to grow. So now that same idea. And even in the, in then it was like, we, this has to happen in more than one place. Like we're going to do it, you know? So, so we've done the first piece that was eight hours. It was originally going to be 12 hours and then it ended up being eight. 
Um, and we did a second iteration as a part of my opening for my um, solo show in Santa Fe. Everyone came and, and we did an eight-hour ritual in the space. And this Black Dem is the third piece. How do those pieces compare in terms of how they're informed by the place? Each one completely differently. And it's, I was talking with, with our collaborators today about that, how, you know, each one is an entirely whole chapter in its own right. You know, and they have a whole different texture, soundscape, research base, yet there's a thread throughout all of it. There's, a, you know, each of our bodies, the sounds. Um, one of the interesting pieces with it is that it's it's also a collaborative visioning with the cinematographer. So MK came in as the fourth piece pretty early on when we were still just in our research phase. It was a it was a like a freeing experience for MK as well because our deepest desire was actually to it, MK is also another black queer mm-hmm. trans artist to give them total freedom in the process. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, what does it look like for one to document an eight or twelve hour piece in nature, you know, with bodies moving in who knows where, with no choreography. And so we said, do what you want. Like you have total freedom to just get what you see. I really, we want to see what you see. Recently, Breeze and those that worked with them on the first performance of Stages of Tectonic Blackness joined them once again for a third performance expressed on the land of Blackdom. The township of Blackdom, incorporated in 1903, with the signatures of 13 black men, established New Mexico's first and only officially recognized all-black town. Still a territory of the United States at Blackdom's incorporation, Jim Crow laws and its supporting institutions of the South had not yet fully developed in Chavez County. That said, racial tensions did arise within the area. Blackdom's inhabitants were committed to homesteading, and changing the trajectory of their lives, no matter the hardships that came with the desert or the surrounding occupants. In November 1926, the 40 acres of the Blackdom town site was transferred in a quitclaim deed, which transferred all of the land without a warranty of the title and at no cost. For the third performance of Stages of Tectonic Blackness, Breeze and the crew were met with a variety of challenges to gain access to the land of Blackdom, These included cease and desist letters, locked fences, unanswered and ignored requests, and active racist pushback from land trustees. It really was quite an eye-opening process and ordeal. I recognized even my own sort of naivete, you know, we had, you know, finished doing Blackdom in the, or not Blackdom, uh, stages of tectonic blackness in these two places. And then, you know, and my dream was, I was like, how amazing would it be to bring this to Blackdom? Like, what would it be like to get there? I've seen pictures. I'm sure it's just a place. Like, we could walk there. And then working with NMSU uh, Art Museum, which I'm my solo show in Santa Fe is touring down to Las Cruces. Um, they were really excited about the project, um, me doing Black Dumb. And they're like, what does it take to get there? Like, how can we support this process? Like, how can we help you do this? Um, we ended up working together to apply with 
516 Arts in Albuquerque to apply for a grant. Um, and so we received, we ended up doing it. We went through the incredible process um, and applied for this national grant with the um, National Performance Network and um, and received a creation fund grant and a development fund grant to be able to do this work in Blackdom. But again, the question was like, well, how do we actually get to Blackdom? <laughs> like, what does that look like? <laughs> you know, and and probably late because we'd already got granted. We told the whole world we're going to Blackdom, but we still didn't even have a way to Blackdom. None of us had been to Blackdom. You know, we kind of had an idea where it was. <laughs> you know, I was really profoundly supported by the by the team there at NMSU. You know, this like small group of of women. Um, curators and administrators that did this research, like trying to figure out using like one of the women had her, her husband's like hunting app to find like the actual plot number so that we could look it up with the patent office and see exactly who owned the center of Blackdom. And what we found was that all of the land around this very center of Blackdom, which is why people haven't been able to go there, is all has all it's basically been landlocked. So all of that, the property, which totaled, you know, at Blackdom's height was like 12,000 acres of land for all like the, the stretch of the homesteads that were patented. All of it was and is basically sold, foreclosed on and um, owned by the bank and owned by these um, this large trust, like land trust that has leases that, that run it. You know, but these leases are people who are, they own thousands, these thousands of acres, most of them all around all of the Blackton land, basically. Um, And they have it for speculation for oil and for cattle or, you know, thing, but they they don't even have cows out there. Um, It's basically unused. We needed permission, basically, to, to open up the gate to get into because they have a gate closing. There is a county easement. There's like a six foot easement, like on one track of land. And then the actual plot of Blackton was owned by the state. The process of trying to actually contact these leasees was was the, the hardest whole thing. I mean, we, we got in touch, but then it, it, we went down a really big rabbit hole where they were actively bl- wanting to block us from being able to access that land going to the extent of, you know, cease and desist letters and, um, you know, new locks. <laughs> we ended up having to go like over the gate <laughs> and just use the easement. So we never touched their gate. So we got permission through like our governing council and stuff like that to be able to bypass the gate. And, but it meant we have to walk and carry. And, you know, so then it was a whole planning of like carrying carts and, and walking Um, which ended up being one of the most profound parts of the journey itself. We ended up doing two days there. So we, you know, were there through the sunset and then from the sunrise. So we showed up, you know, after dark or before or in the middle of the darkest night, you know, to, to walk that land and, Mm -hmm. and to be there for the light shifts. And, and it was again, profound, the relationship to the land, to the weather, the wind, you know, the heat of the sun and the super cold. I mean, all of it, you know, of course, like running through our minds, the the visceral experience of our ancestors and all of these Black, you know, settlers that hadn't moved. Were you all, you and your collaborators, were you surprised about the resistance that you met? Or were you like, 
Yeah, of course. We were pretty much, yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. there's the sadness, you know, that comes where it's just like, really? Why? Like, why? Like, it really is nothing at all. <laughs> you know, why, why, you know, you in Texas with all of, you know, these like, why block this? You know, what is that? And it just like a sadness of, in just faith in human, in people. But then there was also the, of course. And, and one of the other things that we experienced while we were out there that was another sad, of course, was that on the land itself, is like it was basically completely deserted. There's nothing there, um, any like as far as the eye can see, really in all directions, except about a half a mile down the road um, on Blackdom's land in the heart of what was the Blackdom homestead is the Roswell Correctional Facility. Um, and so the only real building is a prison, um, which is housing, you know, some <laughs> of the black and brown people that are still living here. Mm-hmm. And um, and so that was poignant and intense, like that the one thing in line. One of the things I also came across was as you all were looking into getting access to the land, I think that one of the people that you needed permission from was actually a black family that still owned a piece of land that then now they they reside in Texas. Can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah, that that is such a beautiful and important part of the story too. There was one plot of land right next to the center of Blackdom, you know, like 40 acre plot there. And it was we had to just kind of kitty corner like cross through it to get into the entrance for the Blackdom site and and again, using some of the resources, we were able to find this family. And and again, like, how do you, like, they don't have, like, when you're looking at land patents, it doesn't just give somebody's home number or their cell phone or like, you know, <laughs> you can't just do that. Like, and then we didn't have like time also because of every, like to send letters and, you know, all of this. So, um, so one of the, the collaborators at NMS, NMSU tried to find their name, like search them on Facebook to no avail, but then ended up finding someone that seemed like they might've been connected and just like reached out in the dark. And it happened to be the son of like a, a sister of one of these landowners. So we, we did it. So we ended up like finding the connection, just searching, you know, searching them out on Facebook, mm-hmm. um, which is an interesting, <laughs> you know, whole thing of like how we connected people, but, um, but did, and we reached out and connected and it, you know, over a number of conversations, we're able to, to one, like even talk to them about the land. It was land that they didn't even really know about, didn't know the history of Blackdom. It had been passed down to them, you know, through their family, you know, and the, um, the one of the co-owners, you know, this older woman, Onida, she'd, she'd heard about it. I mean, her, her dad talked about New Mexico and, you know, but they didn't really understand what was actually happening there. So not only was it us introducing to them this project, but it was introducing to them this whole idea of this freedom town that they were directly connected to. Through our conversations, I ended up having some really beautiful longer conversations with um, with this landowner. She she did they did give us permission to pass through, so it was sort of the very last like moment was that they gave us the permission that we needed. We couldn't have gotten there without that permission, you know, if because we, we were following really the rules the whole way, and that we needed their permission to enter through their gate. 
So yeah, I ended up sharing with her like images from Blackdom, you know, a whole like a Sunday school image and, you know, all these pictures that I'd collected and stuff like that. And she was, it was amazing. She wrote back, she's like, oh my God. She's like, these are my aunties. Like that's Edna, there's, you know, Doris, there's, and like started pointing and naming all of them. She knew every single person in the picture. She's like, I've never seen these. This is when they're really little. They're all, all gone now, you know, or, you know, I know her daughter and, um, and so that was beautiful as well to like, just give this missing piece to this family at the same time as like them giving us the piece we needed to enter the space. And I think it's, it's interesting too, how that came out of the bureaucratic necessity and those channels. And if, um, if you all weren't putting yourselves through doing that, it would, this probably wouldn't have popped up in that way. So that's, that's really kind of neat. I'm curious, so Stages of Tectonic Blackness, this is an on-site, Nikisha, is the term a performance art or is it like a ritualistic performance art or do those things go hand in hand? It seems yeah. to be the intersection that I, I, I ride in my work and I'm, as I work deeper and deeper into whatever it is I'm doing, I'm like, oh, right. It, it actually is all very connected to ritual for me. And um, as a as an active part of my process, and so it is ritual. It is um, ritual dance, um, ritual performance art. Yeah, those are those are useful words. Okay. The question I have is so stages of tectonic blackness, and then you you also the series of paintings within this skin. I think also have to do with blackdom. To me, it's it's so interesting because there are these two projects related to a place. Uh, but two completely different, I would imagine, experiences for you and approaches. How does within this skin, this that happened before this, kind of relate or is connected to then your work with stages of tectonic blackness at Blackdom? It's a beautiful connection, and it's a really astute one. In because within the skin was a really unique series of paintings. It was my very first series of paintings, um, and it came not as an even concept for me that I was going to be or was a visual artist and it's when I had started studying my history so that when that was happening those paintings it was a way that I was processing what was coming up in my study and I'd actually painted those paintings before I found out like I'd started painting those paintings before I even knew I was from Blackdom so it was just as I was trying like searching for the ghosts of these people in me that I didn't have names for. I I got these doors and I was, I was doing a play. I was like the, doing a huge play in Santa Fe at the same, at the time directing and, and choreographing this, this production. And it was a way that I was like, yeah, just letting everything go and paint. And through those paintings and it, it really simultaneously, I started to learn about Blackdom and I started to see these people that were on this land. And I had started my paintings that I, I did, you know, this crack pattern emerged in my, in, as by mistake. And then I, I loved it and I kept following it and it's become almost signature in the rest of my work. And then when I just went to Blackdom two weeks ago, the entire center of Blackdom, the only thing that's there was it was all cracked. The water settled into the foundation of what was the church and became this like mud field that then dried and cracked in the sun. So it was that exact pattern that I've been like tracing from the beginning. So I feel like it's very much 
<laughs> like uh, precursor premonition like work, you know, that gave birth to then my, my blackdom piece now. The final question I have for you is I want to discuss um, just briefly Afrofuturism. You, you describe yourself partly as Afrofuturist, interdisciplinary painter, sculptor, performance artist. I wonder if you can talk about that term and talk about what that means in terms of how you and your colleagues kind of approach these projects. Afrofuturism is, to me, um, you know, and, is, and constantly evolving in conversation with my colleagues as well. And it's very base, you know, it's that full embracing of and, and maybe turning on its head the idea of timelessness and placelessness that we began even our whole conversation about where, you know, this overarching idea of a, a diasporic, African diasporic body being severed from the root or severed from some sense of homeland or cultural connection or you know, the, the way that we've chameleoned our way, like, you know, all the way through every single culture of, of the world, you know, and, and found this adaptability and resilience and, um, and cultural, you know, what the, the diaspora is profound, right? But it is often understood as being disconnected, you know, from some potential past or, that, or some potential future where we all had lived in Africa and slavery never happened. And, Afrofuturism, I think, kind of blows up that entire idea and says, we're not displaced. We actually have all place. <laughs> we, we're, not we're not cut from time. We have all time, right? The past, presents, futures, you know, land, like connection to land, connection to, to our, our indigeneity across land, across space, like all of it is, um, is, is at at our fingertips or in a way is accessible yeah. it, from an Afrofuturist lens. It's, it's kind of pulling up and out of um, colonial ideas of, um, of ownership over time and place and body, you know, new structures. Like, you know, there's consciousnesses, you know, in Afrofuturism that center around, you know, mapping, like, is it possible to map invisible places, invisible spaces, is it, is it possible to create, and not even to create, but to, to recognize and to, to acknowledge these intricate terrains of culture that connect African diasporic people beyond time and space? You know, what, what is that? You know, how, how do we always, how are we navigating it, you know, without language? You know, all of that lens is, is really Afrofuturist. It's a freeing from the constructs of colonial ideas of, of time, space, place, and our diasporic bodies. Thank you to Nikisha Breeze for sharing their story, and also thanks to their collaborators on stages of tectonic blackness, MK, Lazarus, Nance, Letcher, and Miles Tokuno. An interview with historian Dr. Timothy E. Nelson took place during the time this episode was being produced. TCA wants to recognize that the research of and the discussion with Dr. Nelson informed the producer's understanding of the larger historical context here. Where We Meet comes from Taos Center for the Arts in Taos, New Mexico, and is supported by the National Endowment for the Humanities. Producers include Colette LaBeouf, Chelsea Reedy, Alice Morion, and Ariana Kubios-Vogler. Research and writing by Jacqueline Paul. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this program do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities. On Where We Meet, we share conversations from New Mexico and beyond. Thanks for listening. Be well.
Thank you.